You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Father, we do thank you for your faithfulness to us that has sustained our church community for almost two centuries. And we pray that you would sustain us in the years to come. And as we turn now to your word and we talk a little bit together about what's ahead, that you would give us not just vision, but power in our weakness to do only what we can do in and through your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this time of year, every year, in the beginning of the year, we have one or two Vision Sundays where we just are remembering. We're remembering who we are as a people and we're remembering what it is that God has called us to be um, as a church family, the calling that God has given us in the year ahead. So obviously this year um, has a big thing ahead, and that is that we're going to be returning back to this building that we've been away from for a long time. And yet what I want to do just for a few minutes with you guys is just remind us why we're doing this. Um, This is not ultimately about a building. It's about the people that inhabit the building and the calling that God has given us. The whole motto of the Renew campaign is renewing our home so that we can renew our mission. And the mission, the the home is the vehicle of the mission. The mission is the important thing. The mission is what our church family has been doing for 190 years in a number of different buildings and lots of different iterations of that building. The mission is the thing. So what is the mission? What's the calling, the mission that God has given us as a church? That's what I want to talk with you about just for a few minutes. So let's read uh, together from Ephesians um, chapter 4. Verses 1 through 6, if you want to turn there in your Bibles or just listen, you're welcome to do that. This is Paul writing. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. So if you've ever studied the book of Ephesians, you might know that this beginning of chapter four is sort of like a hinge. It's a turning point in the book. Chapter one, Paul has unpacked his theology of salvation, that God has saved us through Grace, that though we did not deserve it, though we were, could not do anything about our own sin and death, through grace, through the resurrection of Jesus, God has rescued us to eternal life. That's chapter one. Chapter two and three is all about the church, that through grace, God has now created a new kind of radically new community of Jews and Gentiles that is based on nothing but God's grace in Christ. So those are the first three chapters, salvate God's theology of salvation, theology of the church. And then here in beginning of chapter four, Paul begins to tell us, okay, now in light of all this wonderful theology, here is what I want you to do. And he says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, he's in prison. He says, I urge you, and that you there is the second person plural, it's it's y'all is a proper translation. He says, I urge y'all to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. It's kind of a mouthful, but it's beautiful. The calling to which you've been called. There's two really important words in this verse. The first is walk, to walk in a manner. Maybe some of your translations say live in a manner. It's sort of like when your mom says to you, you know, you better walk the walk if you're gonna talk the talk. 
You know, it means you, you, you better live up to, you know, what you say you're going to do. So that's the first thing is, is Paul's talking about how we live, how we behave. And the second key word is calling. That's the, the Greek word klesis, which means a summons, a summons from a person in authority that God is calling you into an important calling, an assignment. And so put this together, Paul is saying to these young Christians in Ephesus, he's saying, look, you have now been saved by God through Christ, by grace. You are now a new community called the church. So now you have a calling. You have a calling in the world. And I want you to give yourself to this calling. Stay focused on this calling. Live in a manner that is worthy of this calling. Walk in such a way that is worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Walk worthily of what God has called you to do. And so this is a great theme for us to meditate on as we, in this pivotal year, as we prepare to go. And look, the point is, we're not just going back to our building. We're, we're entering into a new chapter of the life of our church, a new chapter. And so God is calling us to walk worthily of the calling he's given us, to not get distracted, to not go off the path, to not go wandering around into different things, but to stay focused on the calling that God has given us. That's what this is about. Not ultimately a building, not ultimately the money. This is ultimately about the calling that God has given us as a church. He's asking us to stay faithful to it. So what is it? What's the calling? Well, in one sense, our calling as a church is no different than any other Christian congregation. I don't want us to be too big for our britches. We don't have some special calling. We're not any more special than any other church. Every Christ-centered church in the world has the same calling given by its Lord. It's the great commission, the great commandment, you know, that we would love God and love neighbor and make disciples of all nations and that we would witness to, point to the risen Jesus who is renewing all things and reconciling people to himself. That's our calling. That's our first and foremost calling, that we would be a part of that great movement of the church globally to witness to the risen Lord. Now, on the other hand, even though every congregation shares that same calling from Jesus, you also have to acknowledge that every congregation is unique, right? Just like you're unique. You are a unique, beautiful person. I'm talking to each one of you. You are a unique person, and God has made you in a particular way, and you can do things that only you can do because God made you. And in the same way, each church has its own special characteristics and qualities and DNA and historical location and gathering of people and circumstances. Each church is unique. And therefore, in some ways, each congregation has a unique and special calling that God has given that church to do. So what's ours, the church family? Well, um, every few years, your session, which is the group of elders that you've elected, which are a wonderful group of people, um, seek the Lord, spend time in prayer and discernment, um, asking God to show us as a church, what are, God, what are you calling us to do in a special particular way in the next few years, in this chapter of the life of our church? So um, we wrote that up in like what's called a, we could call it a strategic plan. And there's, there's four vision focuses. I looked it up. That's proper as well as foci. You can say either one, <laughs> okay? So, so this, this does not comprise, I want you to understand, this does not comprise everything that we do as a church. We're always gonna be discipling kids and youth. We're always gonna care about global missions. All these, this does not comprise everything we do as a church. And yet, your session has determined these are four special parts of our calling that we think that God is calling us to emphasize in the coming years. Does that make sense? Okay, and there's a picture for each one for you to remember it, made by our very own Chris Porter. So number one, I'm just gonna walk through them. Number one says this, the transformation of people's lives 
through spiritual formation practices. Let me read what the description below it. It says, we aspire to be a church in which people are being significantly transformed in their faith, lives, and work through distinctive spiritual formation practices. I've always been one of those, I always looked too young for my age. You know, I always wanted to grow up. I was always scanning my face for facial hair in high school. I didn't get any until I was 30. You know, I was a camp counselor in college. People mistook me for a camper. I started as your pastor in 2005, I was 27, and a lady said to me my first Sunday, oh, they let you preach to adults? Um, so, so I always looked young for my age and I always wanted to grow up. I always wanted to be mature, right? And this is a great yearning of, of the Lord for his people. It's a, it's a right yearning that we would become mature. In fact, Paul says multiple times in Ephesians 4 that God's desire for his people is that they would grow up into maturity, into Christ, who is the head. God God's vision for the church, this church and every church, is that it's actually almost like a training ground, a gymnasium, if you will, for growing up mature human beings. It's almost like a greenhouse so that little seeds of humans, you and me, can grow up into mighty plants. That's God's vision for us, that we would mature and grow up, which is a synonym for becoming more like Jesus Christ. That's God's vision for us. It's not just that we would have knowledge of Jesus Christ, but that we would resemble Jesus Christ. That's God's desire for his people. So how does that happen? Well, I'm just gonna pick on Presbyterians a little bit because I can't, because I am one. And I'm proud to be a Presbyterian. Um, Now, let's just be honest. If you know the Presbyterian, often the way Presbyterians have answered that question of how we grow mature into the likeness of Jesus Christ is by learning right? Growing in biblical and theological knowledge. And that's a great tradition of the Presbyterian world. In fact, I, I, I literally have a PhD in Presbyterian theology. So I, I value our tradition as reformed people. And yet, let me just pick on us a little bit and say this, that that is necessary, but not sufficient. Mere information, mere theological knowledge, just listening to good sermons and reading good books and studying your Bible ruthlessly is not enough to make you into a transformed person like Christ. That's like saying that if you want to be a basketball, a great basketball player, a great pianist, all you need to do is read books about it. No. What do you need? Practice. Practice. And so this is ultimately how we grow as Christ is we practice becoming what we already are, those who are in union with Jesus Christ, learning to become more like him. Dallas Willard, the great Dallas Willard, said this, The greatest issue facing the world today, I wonder how you would finish that sentence, with all of its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples. Students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom in every corner of human existence. Sadly, what we've seen in the last four or five years is that many of us who name, who claim the name of Christian do not resemble Jesus Christ, are, are Christians but not disciples. And, I, and I, I am guilty of that myself, my friends. And so what we believe, our elders believe, is that we are being called to press into this in the coming years, to emphasize practicing together the way of Jesus, becoming disciples, learning how to actually obey Jesus in his teachings in the Sermon on the Mount learning how to pray, how to give, how to fast, 
how to seek God's face, how to bear fruit. This is not a new thing for our church. I am grateful for the heritage of discipleship at third. One of the great blessings of our church, one of the things that drew me to it is that we take discipleship of, of our young people, our students, our children, our adults so seriously. And this is why we prioritized children in youth space in, in the new building is because we want third to be a greenhouse, a greenhouse for all of us little saplings to grow up into maturity. This is one of the key aspects of our vision together as a church. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this, the unity of a multi-ethnic, multi-generational community. Let me read. It says, we aspire to be a community that is becoming more unified in its diversity, reflecting our membership in the beloved community of Christ's kingdom, in which people of diverse ethnicities, ages, political beliefs, and socioeconomic backgrounds are welcomed, celebrated, and involved as active participants and leaders. It, you know, isn't it so striking that just after Paul says, walk worthily of your calling, what's the next thing he talks about? Unity. He says, I pray that you would be one, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is a vision. Remember what Philemon, remember what we learned about? What's that word? Koinonia. Can we say that together, fam? Koinonia. It is shared participation in the grace of God in Jesus Christ. In this new family, the codes and regulations and tribalizations and categories that we use to separate and divide out there no longer apply in here because we are all one in Christ, in the Messiah. And so we, our session, our elders are convinced that this is more necessary than ever. Not just because our country is more polarized and divided than ever as every election year exposes, not just because we live in a city that has been marked by profound racial segregation, but also because we, our society is becoming more diverse than it ever has been, and the fields are ripe for harvest. Do you all know that Henrico County is the second most culturally diverse county in the whole state of Virginia? Only second to Prince William? I mean, we have, there's so many people with so many diverse backgrounds and cultures just all around us, and God's vision is that the church would be the place where all are welcomed in through the grace of God in Christ. So in the coming years, we believe that one of the most significant ways that we're called to witness to God's grace and the power of God is to bring together people in the church who would never otherwise be together. We already, actually, we already have a lot of diversity here at Third. We have generational diversity, which is increasingly rare in a church. Uh, we, we have uh, socioeconomic and political diversity. We're growing in our efforts towards ethnic and cultural diversity. And so we want to press into this in the coming years. And our building renovation even expresses this. Our building um, was what I called an insider space. Do you know what I mean by that? Like only the insiders could figure out where they were going, right? <laughs> if you were a guest or a visitor, good luck. In fact, we found several of their skeletons in the basement when we were excavating. Um, Winston Churchill famously said, we make our buildings and then our buildings make us. What he meant is that the built environment of our architecture actually forms the way that we engage with the world. Does that make sense? The way we see. So if we have a space that is only for insiders, 
that is inhospitable, confusing, and unclear, that is inaccessible to people with disabilities, difficult for the elderly, and unwelcome to people of differing cultural backgrounds, then that will form us into a particular kind of community. Does that make sense? So we, we have sought to recast our space in such a way that is a tool for us to express the gener generous, wide-open welcome of Jesus through his grace to all peoples. So not just our architecture, of course, our growing partnership with the Christian Arabic Church and Easton Fellowship, our efforts to express diverse cultures and worship like we enjoyed this morning and our leadership, our parish vision, which is to create smaller gateways for welcome all over the city, right? So that's the second part. Third, the intentional development of leaders. We aspire to be a church that has a clear path for the development and formation of leaders and has raised up many new leaders for future projects, church plants, or ministries. Let me show you a, a funny picture. This is in 2015. That's my predecessor, Steve Hartman. And this is when he was retiring and I was becoming the senior pastor. You can see I have finally learned the secret to aging. It's the last eight years, right? <laughs> <laughs> Looks so young. Uh, I was so naive and young then. Uh, but um, so, so I, Steve, many of you didn't know Steve Hartman. Um, and, you know, Steve was such a wonderful leader in so many ways. And a lot of it was because he was passionate about raising up new leaders. You know, there have been so many things in the news the last few years about narcissistic, power-hungry pastors that damage churches and damage people. Have you heard about that? <laughs> and what Steve modeled to me was just the opposite. Here was a pastor who gave power away, you know, gave it away. He was constantly saying, you know, all these young leaders, he was giving space and opportunity for them to use their voice and gifts. Under his tenure, five new churches were planted, mostly by us sending away associate pastors. When young pastors like me had an idea for something new, Steve just said, go for it even if it meant losing valuable staff and money and people. Steve taught me the importance of being willing to lose things for third in order to gain things for the wider kingdom. And we want to continue that vision for, for years to come. We want to be a church. We want to be a growing church, but not for ourselves, for the community, for the city, for the world. And for that, we need more leaders that we can release and equip. And so while this coming season will involve moving back to our church and settling in, we anticipate a season of multiplication and growth of church planting and new ministries and projects. It's why we have our church planting residency program that Y.L. Malik recently joined uh, as he seeks to plant a church among Muslim background people. Uh, it's why we've beefed up the way that we are seeking to intentionally form our leaders. Why with partners like the CAC, we're Creating, we're working to create initiatives that can build on our immigrant and refugee tutoring program to create more ministries, especially among immigrants in our area. Let, let, let me just say that this is actually really important. We're a, I know we're a big church, but we're not a mega church, and we don't want to be. That's intentional. Um, even the building, our building that we're moving back to, it's a fine building, it's a great building, but it's not a huge building. And you might even wonder when we go back, like, why didn't you just make the building bigger? People have asked me that. Why didn't you just make the bigger building? Well, we did it on purpose. It was a decision made under the session under Bill Long. David told me that in between services, that for years, this, the leaders of the church have decided we are intentionally restricting our growth in order that we can build 
a bigger church, not for ourselves, but to multiply outward into the city and community through church planting and through sending leaders out. And this is also why people have said, you know, why are you guys so eager to go back without any debt in this project? You have such a good interest rate. Well, this is why, is because we don't want to waste money on our operating budget trying to retire debt. We want our whole operating budget to be freed up so we can radically be generous in church planning and raising up new leaders and young pastors for the work of God in the wider church. Does that make sense? That's, that's the vision, okay? And then one last thing. Finally, stewarding of our physical property for the good of our neighborhood and city. We aspire to have a clear plan for our entire campus that offers its physical space as a place of rest and beauty and mission and outreach for the neighborhood. You know, God called us to this little corner called Silver Spring and Forest way back in the 50s, and we believe that God has called us to continue to serve him there for years to come. Uh, and this building, plus the offices and plus the streets and the sidewalks and everything around it, has been given to us by God to steward. What do we say every week? We say, for all th- we say, Lord, who are we that we are able to give so generously? And then we say, for all things come from you, you know it, and what we now offer is already yours. It doesn't belong to us, y'all. That building doesn't belong to us. The money that we've given doesn't belong to us. The property it sits on doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. God has given it to us to steward, to use, yeah, for our church, but also for the sake of the city, for the sake of the community, for the sake of our neighbors, right? To steward it for those purposes. <laughs> this is why our building was so run down the way it was, because the, the, the building was so well used for so many other people all those years. We want to use our building for the blessing of our neighborhoods and local ministries and organizations and the immigrant and the stranger, stewarding it well for God's glory in the years to come. Y'all know that I'm a fan of Wendell Berry, and one of the great themes that comes up in his books and poetry is that staying rooted to one place though that feels like a small life, ironically, is the biggest life because it opens you up to the fullness of life. He says this, and the world cannot be discovered by a journey of miles, no matter how long, but only by a spiritual journey, a journey of one inch, very arduous and humbling and joyful, by which we arrive at the ground at our own feet and learn to be home. We're relearning to be home on that little corner there, asking God to show us all the ways he wants to use us and bless us and bless our neighbors old and new through the legacy of what God has given us. So here it is, friends. Um, This isn't anything magical. These things are not more special than any other church's calling, but they're ours. God's given them to us, right? The transformation of people's lives, the unity of a diverse community, the intentional development of leaders, and the stewardship of what he's given for the common good. God has been so faithful to our church, despite all the ups and downs, despite our own sin and failures. For almost two centuries, God has been so faithful to our church, and now he's giving us the privilege to continue to walk worthily, to walk worthily of the calling that he's given us. So let's do that. Let's run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let's continue this story that God has written for us as we wait and hope for the Lord the one who is risen from the dead, who is renewing and reigning over all things. We are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. What a privilege that we get to do this together, my dear friends. Let's pray. Uh, We're so grateful, Lord, um, for the vision that you've given um, our church for two centuries um, to be a part of 
what you're doing. And we've made many mistakes, but you've been so faithful. And we're so grateful for that. And we pray that you would continue to be faithful in the years to come as we prepare for this big year ahead. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.